Warriors Life slash Fonzie Talks Warriors Podcast 2022. I'm Will Evans from This Warriors Life and Fonzie from Fonzie Talks Warriors, of course. Uh, Fonzie and I like to title the our episodes with a song title. Um, I've chosen the Skyhooks classic Living in the 70s after our 70-point drubbing on Monday night. The you know, fan of classic Aussie rock that you are. Yeah, don't mind Skyhooks, mate, but uh, it's a painful reference this week, isn't it? It's, yeah. It was a tough watch that second half on the weekend, so we're going to dig into the game a little bit, try and unpack it in a non-traumatic way, and um, then sort of look a little bit ahead and and sort of try and try and get to the bottom of what the hell is going on with this team. Yeah, we are coming at it a bit earlier than we normally would with the uh, late Monday night games, only 40 hours or so since uh, since the the massacre ended. Uh, yeah, it was a weird one. I, the, we both said, I think both said on, on Twitter and to each other that it didn't feel as bad as some other beatdowns. Um, I think because it only was really half an hour of chaos. Whereas you know, the 80 minutes of incompetence is is really hard to watch. There were some really good signs in that first half, and then it just kind of fell apart about the 47th minute. Yeah, th- there were some moments that were our best moments of the season in this game. So the little Chanel uh, right side, short side, um, slider hand uh, it led to a try in the first half was beautiful. It reminded me it reminded me of Thurston. Thurston used to love yeah. that, station himself on the open side, just yeah. wait till the very last second, perfectly in sync with the dummy half ball coming out. And then he had to throw the cutout because the Storm um, short side was alive uh, and it had to be a perfect pass. I mean, that was beautiful. It was as good as any piece of skill we've done this year. Yeah. And, you know, so there were some moments there and, and generally in that first half there were some things to like. There were some structural problems too that we'll get to. But then, yeah, that that sort of second half capitulation just seemed out of character, and so it was quite hard to work out how to draw a line through the good things and the bad things, and come up with a view on where we actually are. And it, I mean, it was a record loss, and we should talk about records, I think, and what they mean, because you know, part of what you like to do at this warrior's life is take that historical perspective, and it's important, right? But um, but it didn't feel to me in the gut like a record loss. No, absolutely not. And, you know, I guess that what that's what makes it sort of a bit easier to stomach. But at the same time, yeah, as you say, I'm pretty big on the history and, and trivia side of things. And, and there is a psychological damage of suffering a record loss. And yep. not so much just that it's a record loss. I mean, you know, hitting 70, that barely happens. Uh, 2008 was the last time a team got 70 points put on them. Uh, it's only happened, that was the 10th time in the history of the game, 115 years of premiership footy. We're now one of the 10 teams that have had um, that many points put on us. It's pretty ugly. Um, and, you know, it doesn't sit too too well with me. Um you know, for Brownie to sort of say it looked like they gave up was pretty disappointing too. Um, and it did feel that way a bit. You know, most points, I, I still, I think this is right, uh, the most points conceded in a half since 1935 and the previous records were the the, the, um, the Bulldogs in their first season. Wow. To back weeks got a uh, got massive amount put on, put on them and, you know, in this professional era. Um, at 54 points and a half 
we learned, you know, it was th- in 31 minutes, those points that um, got put on. Pretty dismal. So what, what what do you think it means in terms of psyche, in terms of the players who are out there and who will know that they were part of that record-breaking loss and, and to fans? I mean, do, do you think fans at this point go, well, no team can ever bounce back from that and do anything useful? Are we, are we going to lose the bandwagon? Are we going to see players sort of have to be pulled out of a hole? I think the diehards were certainly not going to jump off the bandwagon. I think it hurts the diehards a bit more because they're you know, well aware of the sort of history, whereas the players maybe aren't. Although, you know, obviously no one wants a record loss on their resume. But, you know, neither does Nathan Brown, who, and I love that uh, delicious piece of uh, trivia that he was part of the Dragon side that got beaten 70 to 10 uh, by the Storm 22 years ago. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, if anything, I think teams bounce back from these losses rather than, you know, being the sort of harbinger of a, of a you know, pl- plummeting slide kind of thing. Um, I Hopefully, you know, if they've got any backbone, we'll see a good bounce back this week. But we will talk about the biggest turnarounds in the Warriors history a bit later on. But, yeah, that's, that's what I'm hoping for anyway. So we'll, we'll dig into the game in a second. But let me start the ball rolling by asking you this. That's our worst loss, as you said, in the worst half since 1930s, right? Um, Do you feel like we're a worse team than we have been over the last 10 years? Do you you feel like as a side, you know, because this is the worst result we've had in 10 years, are we the worst side in 10 years or is this some kind of anomaly, some kind of outlier? Uh, I think even if you asked me before that game, I'd say this was, you know, in the among the worst, the poorer teams of the last ten years. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I thought last year was probably the worst, and of the, you know, since the twenty eleven grand final, that's just me. Um, and I'm, you know, jury's still very much out on on where this season was going. Obviously, that sort of result doesn't help things. But I'm, I'm certainly not willing to judge the teams, you know, purely on that result because you know there's some good things about the previous month. Um, and yeah, uh, I don't. I just think it, it was one of those, you know, halves that you can just put in the bin, particularly because they, you know, showed some real spirit. That cover defence in the first half was pretty heroic, to be honest. You know, something that you, you don't see from a lot of sides under that much pressure. Um, well, let's let's talk about that first half then. So, I mean, the, the headline, the two-sentence summary of the first half is Storm dominate possession and field position, but the Warriors managed to stop them from scoring other than through three unforced errors. Yeah. And and the Warriors put on two nice bits of skill to earn two tries, right? So yeah. that's a weird half of footy and, a, and an encouraging that's half right. of footy, if you summarise it that way. So what was your... What was your overall take on that first half? You're feeling at halftime, your sense of how the game was flowing? Yeah, I think I messaged you and Brad. I was, I was, I was pumped up. I was feeling really confident. I felt it had the feeling of those other Anzac Day upsets, or at least the ones where we just about win and come away with our heads held high, because I thought it was outstanding. Um, yeah, so some of, stopping some of those raids were pretty impressive. As you said, the three tries were... Just they, the storm didn't have to earn them. They were blatant, you know, bad errors, and and that's how they got their 16 points. And as you said, 
two of our better tries of the season. Just uh, beautiful bits of skill. And there were other flashes as well. Like I, I felt like we were looking, other than some issues coming out of yardage, which we'll get to, I thought we were looking dangerous in different parts of the field. Like Egan punched through once or twice. Um, I thought, you know, we we were throwing some kind of shape at him. And it felt like other than the storm seemed to be sort of making 60 metres a set and we were making 30. Other than that, in terms of good ball and so on, I thought we looked as good as them when we yeah. had good ball. Yeah, we're in the fight. We're going set for set with them. It all looked pretty good. Now, half time, I tweeted out that I, like I just screenshot the NRL stats on um, possession, carries, total meters. Clearly, that we were getting towed, right? We were getting dominated in terms of yardage, and a part of that was the the stats get padded by long range line breaks. So when they run 80 metres, that's 80 metres of yardage that isn't earned, you know what I mean, like off the intercept and stuff. So pull that back a little bit. But it still did show that they were um, on top of us in the arm wrestle, if you know what I mean. And so we were relying on our scramble D and our goal line D um, and our kind of counter punch, like making the most of the good ball that we could get to keep us in the game. And, you know, the truth is if Ed Cossey's not the winger, not the left winger, um, then we're probably ahead at half time. If it's Montoya, you know, or anyone, yeah. <laughs> we're probably ahead at half time. So um, I, I just want to bookmark that as an interesting point around um, some thoughts I'm having about how important is yardage actually. Like, is there a game model that says I don't care that much about yardage, right? About winning the arm wrestle. I actually am playing a different game where I'm counter-punching and I'm backing my scrambled D, my goal line D, and I'll win games that way because we, we should have won the first half that way. Um, so I, I just want to bookmark that, but I, I've brought up his name. We have to talk about Ed Cossie, don't we? Like Now, you've been you've been an Ed Cossie apologist for a long time, <laughs> and I've been on here telling you he's not first grade ready. What, what was your take in that game? Uh, look, everyone knows uh, my thoughts on Ed Cossey and, you know, and a few people were having a bit of a dig after three, what I would call adequate to good games, um, you know, certainly did nothing to be dropped in those three games and we gave him a bit of a rap last week. Um, certainly didn't see anything outstanding in those games, but he was, you know, holding down the spot. Uh, this was a game that I was fearing though. Uh, you know, I saw it last year against the Dragons and to be honest I just thought it was a matter of time before we saw something like that again yeah and he and he delivered big time um yeah the you know I watched the highlights again just before we came on that the pass from Walsh uh that they, they ended up going 90 meters the other way it was you know it was a perfect pass no excuse for it and he could have had a try himself uh the the end goal bungle that was very similar to what to pick up the ball off the ground and kicking it. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but it's, uh, you know, there's just some technique issue there. Um, I've, I've had another look at the um, the chase in the second half. They got roasted for. Yeah, I, I don't think he gave up on the chase. I think he thought it was going dead. And then, you know, only had half a second and realised Coates was, it wasn't and Coates is, um, is, is you know, 
obviously going to blitz him and score. Yeah. But still, this it's just a, just incredibly shocking. Bad judgment. Bad, judge, bad judgment, not lack of heart. But still. no, no. But it's you know it's yeah. still pretty ordinary. Um, yeah, I guess my my issue is you know you got two, you've played nine games, and you got probably two of the top five worst performances by a Warrior on your resume. That's not too flash. But the other problem I have is that there's just not enough upside to his game to you know, to justify yeah. sort of persevering or, or risking that sort of performance. Like, you know, we've had some real flighty types in the past. Uh, Manu Vadova and obviously Glenn Fisiasi is the other one. But, I mean, yeah. they're match winners. They're, yeah. You know, they're absolute flyers who can score, you know, three or four tries themselves and don't, you know, they're not coming up with a performance like that every 4.5 games. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, he seems like a, a lovely kid. So said this a thousand times, but if he's not up to it, he's not up to it. What do you yeah. reckon? Well, I have to agree with that. So, um, it's been notable that teams in the last four weeks haven't been kicking to him. Yeah, absolutely. He hasn't been targeted at all. He hasn't been targeted at all. And the Storm are like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like... Which is just mind-blowing, actually, if you think about it. And then the Storm are like, yeah, we'll probably target that guy. And they, they didn't really have to target him. I mean, that they did bomb him in the second true, half. He put true. down. That was tough. He actually took a, a great take in the opening minute. So I thought, Ed Cossie's on tonight again. Um, but, you know, the grubber to the end goal, that was, you know, that wasn't a great kick. He just nah. made an absolute hash of it. But, yeah, and, I, I tell your point, he hasn't been targeted previously this year. And and whether or not they specifically targeted him, everyone's going to get under pressure playing the Storm because they're just so yeah. relentless and searching for weaknesses and stuff. And then when they found that one, they went down his edge all night. So, um, yeah, look, I mean, it, it sort of tells you something about where we are, though, in terms of our top 30, right? So um, Montoya's out. So he's not our first choice. Um, but yeah. with Montoya out, he's our pretty much our second drop, maybe Pompey, maybe. Um and we we clearly have a player in our top thirty who's just not ready to be in the top thirty, he, he, if ever. Um, I hope he comes good, man. I like he's he's one of our guys. I mean, we're obviously supportive of him, and the, you know his his con- all that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like no death riding, but you know when someone's not ready to be playing first grade and he's playing first grade, it's appropriate that we call that out and say it. And we have been saying it, right, for 12 months. And then this happens and didn't cost us a game because we we're going to lose anyway, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but it's just proven that point. So there's clearly um, a, an issue in our top 30 and in the juniors that we're bringing through at the moment in all the COVID circumstances where we just have people coming up a year too early, in my opinion. We yeah. have a number of them. Like, he won't pick Ratova this week, so we've got two wingers down. Yeah. And, well, Kossi dropped and and Dallin injured. We'll get to that. And he won't pick Ratova, even though Ratova's in our top 30, because he knows Ratova is just not a first grader or close to it. So he's picked the centres on the wing. And I, I agree with that call. But if you've got a bloke in your top 30 and he can't be third drop winger, he shouldn't be there, you know, so... Yeah. Things I Hate podcast. I'm Ollie. What's up, pansies? I'm Andy. Nice. Join us every Friday at noon as we talk about everything we hate from news, politics, current events, and dolphin pee. That's right. You heard me. Dolphin pee. 
See you this Friday at noon. Things I Hate podcast. Yeah, we'll talk about the the backline uh, selections for next week in a second, and any potential sort of uh, permutations that might happen. You know, when everyone is available. Um, yeah. Did you want to talk about your your theory of Brown's? Uh, what the hell's going on? Um, his did, game plan that he might be rolling out. Can we talk about SJ first? Sure. I, I, I want to talk about SJ because. Um, my take, and I um, tweeted this and pinged you on, on the night, was that SJ must be busted. And he must have been playing busted. Like, Ash's long-term injury, I think Ash is done. I doubt we'll see him play again um, in our colours. Cordy had COVID, in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, COVID. Um, I'm doing air quotes here. <laughs> and um, and so I can understand that if SJ was borderline, they'd want to play him in that situation. And so, you know, I'm not being critical, but he clearly was avoiding contact. He wasn't kicking. For the first time this year, we had CHT running short side plays on the right side. Yeah. Um, when SJ and CHT pretty much kept their sides so far. So I'm looking at that going, SJ either was busted or he has an attitude problem. Now, everything you've heard from SJ since he's been back has been so positive in terms of attitude, commitment, rah, rah, rah. so I don't believe he has an attitude problem. So he has to be busted, and that's actually, in a way, more worrying because that's that's a hard fix. What do you, what, what was your take? Did you agree? Did you think? Yeah, I, I just certainly thought he seemed injured. He was not keen on contact or to, you know to run much at all. I just had another look at the intercept because. I thought the one against the Cowboys um, was a shocker because there was, wasn't really anything on um, yep. you know, to try um, when that happened. And, you know, you know, I'm a huge SJ fan. He's got that in him and intercept. And, uh, and when he did that one, I was I thought, oh, you know, what are you doing? Two times in three games and, and people are going to come out of the woodwork again. And it was a bad one. Just watched it again. I don't I think it was just a piece of poor execution. Because Meany had rushed in, if he was able to get it over the top, uh, Dallin was away. So I kind of looked at it, you know, this might come across as me making an excuse. Um, yeah, but again, he was certainly well short of uh, of what would expect from him. Um, there's one little moment in, this, in the second half where he's, you know, this trademark skip to the outside and it, kind of created some space. I'm like, where's that been? And, and certainly where was it the other night? Um, yeah, on the other hand, we only had the ball, what, nine times in the second half. It's hard for a halfback to get any traction in a 70-point loss, but, yeah. So a couple of stats. He kicked twice. Yeah. Um, in the whole game. Yeah. And one was led to a try, but it was a you know, short kick. Did no yeah. long kicks that I recall. Do you remember him getting tackled once? No, not with, yeah, not really. Nothing too notable. Certainly wasn't uh, going flat out into the defence. That's for sure. Yeah. So you, you just can't you can't do that. Like, yeah. So he's got to be injured, and um, understanding that the club doesn't want to publicise that, like yeah, um, in a way we're doing the club a disservice talking about <laughs> it because no, I don't need. Ricky Stewart, but I mean they're smart. They watch the same games we do, and they've seen it. They know that if we can see yeah. it, they can see it. Um, I hope it's not a major thing, but I do think that was a 
like on the weekend, you had Justin Ollum running at Arthur's, which is a physical mismatch, and just yeah pushing him off. SJ was not helping from the inside, right? Like, no, he did come up with a couple of good cover plays, but yeah, he certainly wasn't putting himself because I kind of rate his defence front on a yeah. lot of the time. Um, but yeah, no, he certainly wasn't willing to to put his body on the line too much. And when Curran went off that edge, it kind of went to hell. Um, and so, yeah, I'm quite concerned about SJ. Look, in terms of um, trying to – like, I've been trying to process what the hell Brownie's doing because I start from a couple of assumptions, right? One is that Brownie knows more about footy than I do, right? Um, the next one is Brownie spends more time thinking about the Warriors and game model than I do. Right. Therefore, Brownie probably has a better idea and understanding of what the hell is going on than I do. Yeah. So if I'm looking at it and I'm confused, that's probably me, not Brownie. That's where I start. Now, a lot of people on social media and Twitter will start from a different place, which is Brownie must be an idiot because I don't understand what's happening. Right. Um, But I'm going to make an assumption that I start from the other end. So how do you explain the selection of players like Ciro? on the edge over your Katoas and your Messias. How do you explain um, his, you know, um, constant comments that we don't play enough footy in games, even when we win? We don't. He, he always says we don't play enough footy. Yeah. And um, how do you sort of look at some of his selections and, you know, more, more generally in the side, the ways reshape the roster, moving away from the, the bigger bodies and, more to speed and so on. And it's got to be because he's got an opinion about the game model that he thinks is going to win NRL comps and he's trying to move us there. Yeah. Right. So I'm starting from that. Now, if that's wrong and Brownie's just an idiot, then <laughs> everything I'm about to say is rubbish. Right. Um, but that's where I start. So how do you, how do you join the dots on that and work out what he's trying to do? Now, when I watch Melbourne, they, they play almost, and Cronulla, by the way, who have had a stunning reversal in their um, fortunes and their skill level and stuff, they play a different game to the traditional rugby league model. They're not actually that fussed about building a steady middle platform to go wide. They'll go wide on the second. They'll hit a tram line like out of nowhere. If there's a quick play the ball on the first, they'll hit an edge, right? They... Um, have, have sort of broken that sort of structured build it up kind of model. And instead it's about shifting the ball to where you think the gap is, working off a quick play the ball whenever it comes in a set and um, making defences work left and right as much as you make them work up and down. For me at least is that if you, if you can get five or six defenders to have to commit to a possible tackle, right, off a hit-up, that's five or six people who are pulled out of shape, right? Whereas if you just trundle up, there's two or three guys who will come and make that tackle. Everyone else is back having a smoke, waiting for the next tackle to come, right? So if you can pull five and six out of shape by the defence not knowing whether you how far wide you're going to push so that those guys can't sort of release themselves and go back and or knowing which player is going to carry into contact, then it's just putting an additional stress and fatigue 
on the defence that's a different kind of stress and fatigue of a really big guy charging up the middle and requiring three people to pull him down and a post-contact wrestle and all that, right? So um, I think that's that's kind of what I'm seeing from your Melbournes and your Cronullas. And I think Brownie is fully on board with that model. And so um, he doesn't actually care whether or not we win total yardage metres because um, he's not trying to break down opposition teams by running the most metres. He's trying to break them down by re- requiring them to commit the most energy to defending us, yeah. right? And sometimes you you do that by playing more lateral. Uh, and, and Melbourne, like I think it was Melbourne versus, hang on, I want to say West Tigers, um, but Melbourne played, so Melbourne Souths, Melbourne played South earlier this year. I'll just give you the stats in that game. So Melbourne played South and they beat South quite easily. Um, Here it is. South ran for 1,900 metres to Melbourne's 1,450 metres, 1,450. Like massive discrepancy. Um, South had 234 runs to Melbourne's 168. Melbourne South had 700 post-contact metres to Melbourne's 598. Now, if you look at those yardage stats, it's not just that South won yardage. They won it in a canter, but Melbourne beat them 15-14. Yeah. And, like, I'm, I'm sort of increasingly trying to work out how important is yardage in the way that we measure it. And, and maybe it's not as important as we think, or maybe Brownie thinks it's not as important as we think. Maybe, like, if you could measure how many kilometres you force the opposition players to run, right, in terms of yardage. That'd diagonal be... metres. Hmm? Diagonal metres. Yeah, diagonal metres. Or like like if you make five guys come up out of the line into contact almost and then retreat and you make them do that many times a set, how many metres are going in their legs, right? Um, yeah, not just one one player going forward. It's five players coming yeah. back. Yeah. And, and, of course, then when they're going back, they're only just getting back, so their decision-making on the next play is impaired and so on. So I suppose I'm possibly I'm trying to – I'm going down a rabbit hole to justify what the hell Brown's doing, but I think that's the line, the line of thinking I'm going, which is those metrics around yardage and so on are a bit primitive and there's other ways to win. And Brownie sums it up in his colloquial Aussie manner of you've got to play footy. And the thing that kind of triggered me around this was last week, he identified yardage as our problem and said the reason our yardage was poor was because we didn't play enough footy. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. Playing footy means when you get good ball throw in really good shape, right? That's what I think playing footy means. Brownie doesn't think that's what playing footy means. Playing footy starts on tackle one, and it's about causing your opposition to have to defend footy, defend shape all the way through. So – bit long-winded, but my point there is if if that's what Brownie's thinking and he's in the process of reshaping the roster that way and he's getting the guys to play that way, to me that's a much more complex and fragile game model, right? Because you, you're going to, like, you look at go and look at Hook, go and look at St George. Yeah, you can go and stack your team with Aaron Woods and all these blokes, right? You're not going to get 70 put on you, right? But you're not going to win a comp. You're just never going to win a comp. Yeah, you see like it's probably seventh, maybe sixth. Yeah, you're ceiling sixth, and um, your you know your floor's probably you know thirteenth, and you won't have blowouts in either direction. Um, but 
with this kind of model, well, that's how Melbourne win comps. Um, now, Penrith don't do it this way. They do it another way, and that's probably a chat for a different time. But with this kind of model, I do think our ceiling is much higher. And so my apologist hope, when I'm being optimistic, is that we are just in this transition where he's getting a bunch of guys, some of whom are just not first grade ready at all, let alone for a complex game model, to try and play this kind of model like the Storm do. And there's massive teething problems embedding it. But if you agree this is the way to play footy in the future, if you agree that, then you've got to start. You've got to start somewhere. You, you know, like a Rock or Berry, you know, will benefit from a year of trying to play that kind of footy, even if it sucks. Yeah. And, and next year he'll be better for it. And so, so will all the other guys. So that's my sort of... Um, like I said, rabbit hole around game model and what Brownie might be thinking, assuming he's not an idiot, and I don't think he's an idiot. Um, fascinating theory and put uh, out there with Cooper Cronk-like expertise. I love it. Um, yeah, it'd be fascinating to know. I'd love someone to take this and run with it and ask, and ask Brownie if he's if this is sort of the, the way that he's going. Um I don't know if, if this is, is all correct. I don't know if we quite have the cattle to be able to do this. No. Employ this uh, game model. I mean, you look at the Melbourne doing it, they've got fast halves that love taking on the line, like Munster and, and Hughes, whereas we don't so much now that Johnson isn't as much of a running half. Um, our outside backs suck, for want of a better word, whereas, you know, they've got the likes of Olam and Sharks at Talakai and that sort of thing, and fast wingers. Um, but maybe that you know the the uh, recruits that we've got coming on board probably better suited for that sort of that style of footy potentially. Uh, a lot well, of speed coming on board and yeah, I mean you'd think so. Like a Metcalf is um, yeah, Dylan Walker. Know, Dylan Walker at fourteen sort of gives you that sort of running ball playing option out the back. And New Corre, assuming he's coming for second row, and I don't believe for a second he's coming for centre, is more that kind of player. Um, so, yeah, I can see the roster moving that way as well. Like Torhu moving to prop suits that model because, yeah. again, it's a skill factor in your front row um, rather than your straight up and down type of player. So I can definitely see the roster moving that way. But, look, this is just speculation from me. I might be totally off. But I'd be really interested to know. And um, I sort of floated this on Twitter and that point you made around, well, that's all well and good, but, you know, if one of our halves doesn't want to take the line on – and if we're playing sort of, uh, do we have the footy smarts in the roster and stuff to do that and the ball playing in the roster? Well, probably not. But we have more of that in the roster this year than last year. Yeah. And we're going to have more of that in the roster next year than this year. So, yeah, look, um, hopefully we're, we're sort of on the right path and, and it's that path and, and it sort of pays off the, the back end of this year and into next year. Yeah, we might be saying to, you know, Craig Hodges and Cameron George and Mark Robson, look, this is where I'm going with this. Uh, there might be a few growing pains, but stick with me. Let me, you know, at least see out the third year because I think it's going to, you know, pay dividends next year when we've got the team that I want to be able to play this sort of game. It's such a diversion from what we saw and there were, you know, other um, reasons for that because of the short uh, build-up and all of that, disjointed build-up for 2020, uh, sorry, 2021. But, you know, it's, it's such a basic um, game plan last year. So to, to diverge into something like this is um, 
quite interesting. But go to tw- uh, Fonzie's Twitter. He's, he's uh, spelled it out really well on a big thread there. And, um, yeah, I'll but just update us uh, with, you know, what, whether you think he is going this way week to week. And, and all the usual suspects like Teets and others out there who I know listen and I know are very analytical and are happy to jump in and do some data. Hey, give me your thoughts. What do you reckon? Do some do some analysis on it. Is yardage as important? And what does yardage mean these days? But just on 2021, I mean, there were two things. The rule changes happened, you know, on the hop yeah. um, in 2021. So that was a trigger where you had to change to an extent. And also, obviously, he inherited a roster that, you know, he hadn't selected and it was sort of based around some previous issues we'd had. So it doesn't surprise me that we've changed a lot from the start of 2021. Um, But, you know, like I'm not convinced that, firstly, Brownie actually thinks that and, secondly, that it's the right way to go. But it's my best guess at the minute. Now, now any other players on the weekend um, sort of caught your attention? What did you think of the way Otokolo got? used yeah i'd love to know what brownie's plan was for him you know we saw him play last weekend and you thought it was probably more of a last man standing kind of thing that's why we had to use him as a um as a running forward when we still had nicodema on the bench as a dummy half uh this week egan played the full 80 uh, obviously we had a couple of injuries so it'd be interesting to know if, if without the injury to curran um and, and obviously seren and having to go out to the centers when down went off whether um, Otokola was, you know, earmarked for 15, 20 minutes of dummy half, which we'd like to see. Um, as it happened, they chucked him out for 22 minutes or so. Uh, got uh, steamrolled near the line a couple of times for storm tries and had zero runs. So, yeah, you know, he's not suited for that. He's not Saliva Havili. He's not that stocky. Yeah. Um, you know, to be defending kind of, you know, towards an edge is, is quite difficult for him trying to trying to tackle the likes of Pappenhausen and, and Harry Grant. Um, didn't work, obviously. And, and he's in the 17 again this week. Uh, do you think we're going to see him at dummy half this week? I mean, I don't think playing Egan at, for 80 minutes does Egan too many favours. So, No, I, I think he was definitely going to play hooker if the injuries hadn't happened last week. Um, and Cody's got, air quotes, COVID again um, this week. So he won't be playing. So I think Otokolo will come on and play hooker, which suits him. Now, he might be a guy who, like um, like um, Brendan Smith at the Storm, is someone who can play a dual role of a running middle forward and a hooker further down the line. But, yeah. again, we're bringing all these guys through a year too early. Like, Otokolo is probably at a place where he could be your first drop bench hooker. Yeah. Now... But we've gone a year ahead into that and gone, well, no, you're also going to be our running running forward in, and so on. So um, he's like, I don't think we should be judging him on his form when he plays a running hooker role. Just completely flush that. It's not fair. Um, especially, sorry, in that- especially in that game, right? Yeah, where it's really defence. Like, no, his defensive positioning on the line for one of the tries was terrible and uh, he's obviously not got the body yet to hold contact with some of these guys, but like, what do you, what do you expect? He's, yeah. He hasn't even played a full season at Q Cup. He was playing Colts last year under 21s. Yeah. So it's just a year early and, you know, so be it. That's where we are. And um, again, like Kossi, Ratovara and others, we've, we've got some guys here who are just not quite there in terms of time, not necessarily in terms of talent, and we've got to cut him some slack. Yeah. 
yeah, it'd be good to see him. Uh, um, maybe even someone like Ratur at some stage get a run against someone that's a team that's not that flash rather than yes. on Anzac Day. Um, uh, Dejan Arce signed midweek uh, and immediately from the Cowboys straight into the team. What did you make of that one? Yeah, I, I didn't know much about him. Um, you might know a bit more. He's, he's from down your way, isn't he? From the South Island. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I, I saw that um, a good friend of our show, Anton Possa, put out on Twitter a bit of a call to Cowboys fans to give us the good oil. And they came back saying that they were they thought he was a, a good player, sort of not far behind their starters and could do a job at centre as well. But then I heard Brownie say um, on the radio last night that he was signed definitely as halves cover and he mentioned ash taylor's long-term injury so how do you how do you reckon we're going to use him and what's your take yeah well that's and his experience suggests he's a you know a half fullback cover um that's yeah as you mentioned he's from canterbury Adanui eagles uh junior so i'm pretty stoked to see him in a warriors jersey we don't get many canterbury or south island boys in the in the team so it's uh, pretty exciting for us down here um He's played 10 games for the Cowboys, five in each of the last two seasons. Uh, scored on debut at 5'8". He yeah, had a few games at 5'8", um, one at centre, and he's, oh, he's actually he played a few games at centre last year too. So he can play at centre. I mean, the, the Cowboys are pretty stacked and injury-free um, from one to seven at the moment. Obviously, their halves are settled. Drink waters, your, your uh, first drop fullback has probably cemented that one now. And, you know, you got... Um, Hammerside, Tabai, Fido trying to break back into a, a back line where you know all, the, all those parts are, are firing quite nicely. So yep. his chances of playing first grade weren't great. You know, drink, drink water probably goes to five eight if any of the halves go down. Um, so it's a good move for him. Good move for the Warriors if Taylor is uh, is gone as you suggest he might be. Uh, Nakadema, yeah, I'd, you know to be honest, probably prefer. RC to, to come in. Um, I have a little theory about him getting rushed into the reserves this week um, that Sean might not be uh, quite 100 and and uh, he could be a late 5 8 replacement with Chanel going to halfback. Yep. Um, and I think, yeah, he may end up being our best uh, fullback cover as well. Um, if, you know, if Walsh misses any games this year, because, you know, we saw that Chanel was, was his replacement for round one. Um, so, yeah, like we obviously could do with a bit of fullback cover too. Um, I was looking at his Queensland Cup um, stats this year. He's played four games for the Cutters, um, all at 5'8". And, yeah, he's got a little bit of uh, size to him. Obviously, he scored a nice try in his first game this year. Uh, just, yeah, it looks, looks like someone that likes taking the, the line on. Obviously, a ball player as well. Um, yeah, I like the signing. Yeah, I mean, you think about it too. We've got a... I think we're going to lose Cody and Ash. I mean, that's pretty much nailed on. We haven't re-signed CHT. He's only signed for this year, um, RC. And yeah. so yeah, he's a free agent next year. So it's another player we can get a bit of a look at. The Volkman, the Roosters young gun, um, which was speculated as a confirmed signing, but hasn't actually been confirmed. He's still sitting out there. So... Um, I think it's great that we get a, a, a guy like that, a Kiwi, to come yep. in and and join the squad and we get a look at him. And, I mean, there's no doubt that he could do a job in the outside backs as second drop, you know, for um, 
you know, for injury cover. And, yeah, I, I think it's good. I'm pretty happy with it. I mean, I think the squad needs um, a little bit of deepening in, in that outside yeah. backs area, and he does that. Uh, we, had, we didn't talk about Arthur's, but uh, or we mentioned his defensive issues. But, um, you know, like, again, Arthur's a very good attacking centre. He's not a great defensive centre. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's probably our best centre at the minute. So there's there's definitely still a place for some strengthening the roster out there. And I think this helps, yeah. Yeah, and he's not the first centre to get embarrassed by Justin Olam. No. Uh, that impending showdown with Siasifa Talakai is uh, <laughs> takes away and it's terrifying. It is, isn't it? Talakai's left edge, Arthur's is right edge. Yeah, that's scary. Yep. Um, so we're seeing uh, Rocco Berry and uh, Liami Vailea, our round one centres, picked on the wing this week. Uh, good call. Are you happy to see them? On the flank, and do you think that's where they'll play? Do you think there's any late reshuffling we might see? I think they'll. I mean, Brownie loves a late reshuffle, and yeah. I think there probably will be. I think I read that they only got back to um, Queensland pretty late yesterday because there was a flight delay and stuff. So I'm pretty sure they would have just been chucking in a team sheet to meet requirements, and they're still yeah. going to work it out. I also think there were there's more players who. Um, were injured or carrying knocks from the weekend than we know about. Like, I thought Bunty looked a bit off. I thought, um, well, CHT copped the knock and he came back up, but I'm wondering about that. And so it wouldn't surprise me to find out there's players who are either ruled out or sort of, you know, given a week to settle some knocks. So, yeah, I, I don't actually think they're sitting down and picking a team till about Friday. Thursday, Friday. So I think there will be changes. I think what he's done is say, of course, he is not going to play wing, right, because he's fit and available. And um, and he's sort of said, well, um, Valia and Berry are going to be there somewhere. I do think Arthur's might be, um, you know, like I don't think Arthur's went well. And I agree with you about Olam, but it's Arthur's, you know, I don't know whether Arthur's was first choice or not in the first place. So... You know, it might be that he decides, well, it's time to stick Valeo back on that right edge, Berry on the left, push Pompey out to the wing. You know, I, I think there's there's definitely going to be some changes to the 17 as named. I do really like the idea of Valeo getting his first-grade bearings on the wing. You know, some yep. as an earmark for centre seem better suited to, like, to me, Berry doesn't really seem like a winger. Valeo does seem to have the style where he would thrive, and we've seen it a lot as Suwali's playing on the wing for the Roosters at the moment. He's, you know, budding superstar. Joey Manu started out there. I think even Latrell Mitchell played a fair bit of wing when he came into first grade. These were all uh, Roosters guys, but, you know, we've seen a lot. Greg Inglis played a lot of wing when he started. Yeah. Uh, despite, obviously, you know, he was going to be one of the all-time great centres. You could tell it when he was a teenager. So I like, yeah, I like the idea of him getting used to first grade on the wing, but potentially doing a bit more than our current wingers do. So uh, yeah, I'm, I, I kind of hope that we do see him stay there at least for this week. Well, I mean, I, to me, Valia has the same, you know, potential errors in him as Akosi, to be honest. Um, but he, but he has more upside to your point yeah, earlier. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. What, so, what so, so the value proposition, let's say, is a bit better. You know, like he yeah. he, he can do some um, great things on the upside, and and he, he does have the error in him. We saw him in his debut game. He made a couple of unforced errors that were 
um, costly and not really first grade. So again, he's coming up a year early, but yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Whereas like a Kossi um, is at best serviceable, and Vilea has probably got a bit more going on. Um, so Canberra coming off a big loss too, and yep. they're a team that's struggling with a coach that's spitting. How, yes. how do you? Can we turn it around? What's what's the history around turnarounds, Will? Well, the Warriors love a, a decent turnaround. We've um, we've got some good ones in our history. Uh, just thought I'd take you through the top five uh, one-week turnarounds based on purely on the uh, number of points turnaround. So the biggest was uh, late 2014. We got a 46-12 touch-up from the Roosters at home, and then a week later we brought, uh, beat the Titans 42 nils, so 76 points. Uh, the one where I think that we that obviously has the most uh, sort of similarities to the loss we just had, our previous biggest loss ever, 62-6 at Penrith in 2013, uh, a week yep. later. And, yeah, that was, you know, total catastrophe with the Warriors are panned for laughing on the field afterwards. I think Johnson got hooked during the game from memory. Uh, came back a week later and beat the Knights 28-12 at home and uh, then went on a crazy giant killing run. Um in 2018, a 62-point turnaround, a 50-10 to 10 loss to the Storm on Anzac Day. Uh, came back and beat the Tigers 26-4 a week later. And then a couple of 58-point turnarounds. We lost 54-0 to the Dragons, which at the time was our biggest ever. Uh, beat the Northern Eagles 18-14 a week later. And uh, and a 52-point loss to the Roosters in 2004, which Daniel Anderson's last game, uh, Tony Kemp, Took the caretaker reins and we won 20 to 14 in a famous uh, backs to the wall upset at Mount Smart. So, yeah, we do have a, a turnaround in us. One thing I did want to touch on, and um, you know, we're famous for losing to teams that we shouldn't and beating teams that we shouldn't. Um, and 2013 was a perfect example of that going on that run in 20 uh, midway through the season. Um, we haven't been beating anyone that's any good since uh, Browning took over. Our only wins over that, that year's top eight was in round one against um, well actually since the start of 2020 uh, we beat Newcastle and Tamworth, a uh, fantastic win but you know Newcastle were on the slide and limped into the finals and then round one last year against the Titans Brownie's first game and that's the Titans team that made the finals with a 10-14 record so you know we haven't been competing with the better teams. Um, yep. Another example of it the other night. Um, yeah, we'll get another chance in a couple of weeks' time against the Sharks. Hopefully, we can get a bit of traction again against the Raiders because they're not going well. Um, man, both teams are desperate. Raiders weren't that bad against Penrith. Certainly better than 36-6 looks. Penrith are just absolutely flying, and, and they competed um, for most of that game. Um, and massive uh, is, is like our game, really. The the running metres discrepancy, I think it was about a 1,000 metres difference in that one too. So, uh, yeah, real, real interesting game. I think I think we should have them, but we'll see what effect um, that thrashing on, on Monday had and it was a, a shortish turnaround, five days. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously the second half last week was disheartening and we've avoided talking about it, which is smart. Um, <laughs> the to me, the first half is more reflective of the body of work we sort of had over the year and our trend over the year. And um, yeah, and, and so if the team of the first half turns up, I think we can beat the Raiders and should beat the Raiders. I'm worried about the injuries. So yeah. 
if SJ's busted, if you know, current's a massive loss, and um, Dallin is a loss too, just because we're pretty light out there. So I am concerned about that. I think that's a, an issue, but the Raiders are probably less able to exploit the outside backs issue that we've got um, than you know Melbourne. And so I'm not at all confident, but one thing I've learned about the Warriors is when they look like they're at their worst, they're better than that. And when they look like they're at their best, they're worse than that. You know, so this is a t- this is a week where if you're going to put ten bucks on, you you back the Warriors because um, they're they're better than you think. I, I would say at the moment. Yeah, three and out Redcliffe as well. Back <clears throat> our sort of surrogate home base. So yeah, looking forward to that one early game on Saturday. Uh, is that us, Fonz? You better get back to work, mate. I suppose I have, mate. Yeah. No. Look, um, I think that is. I, I, I just, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it's it's one of these weeks where, you know, the fire comes out of the belly when you see them deflate like that. Um, but we've been here before, and like I say, it's it's never as bad as it looks at the worst times. And the game has changed too. You know, your your stats um, have highlighted how unique that result on the weekend was, but. The game in 2022 is different to the game in 2019 or 2002 or 1985 and so on. It is actually easier, I think, for teams to rack up scores in short periods of time at the moment and get that sort of flow of possession. So, um, yeah, we set a record for the worst ever, but I don't think this is the worst ever Warriors team. And and I do think they're going to be competitive going forward. Yeah, hopefully they're chasing, what, a 17-plus win over the Raiders and they can break that one-week turnaround uh, record for the club, get, hey. get, a, get a record back for them. The year of the records. Yeah. Uh, nice one, mate. Oh, thanks for joining me on this Wednesday afternoon and uh, everyone else. Enjoy the game. There'll be some incarnation of uh, TWL and Fonzie next week to, um, yeah, to break that down. That's it. Go the Warriors. Never in the seventh